Oh my god. Okay, so I got another another new microphone. Hopefully this one won't break. It's already doing a better job than the last one because it's actually working in Adobe Edition, which thank you so much. You know, <laughs> I paid one hundred dollars for you and for you to just do the simple task of recording me in an application on my computer is just so great. So thank you so much for that. Today, I want to talk about the stories that I covered when I was a reporter that are like the ones that I think about the most, the ones that left me with the biggest impact because usually when you're a reporter, like you see really good people, obviously it depends on what you're covering. You see, you know, people who are doing charitable acts, you cover that, it's so great, yada, yada, yada. But then you also see like really deplorable things, like the worst of human society, human civilization, you know, people doing vile, murderous things. And, you know, that was one of the things that they were talking about with, um, you know, when I was a student was that like, oh, we have to have a thick skin. And, and it's just like, no, I don't. I, I just want to be a human being. I'm not I don't want to be desensitized. And to think that like, oh, well, people just do this like they don't. There's no fucking reason for it. Um, Real quick, I want to say that I actually had a story that was scheduled and like prepared to run on the front page above the fold, which is really great because I don't get that very often. And it was something that was just like, cool, I'm looking forward to this. And then I don't know if you all remember, but the guy in New York City had rented a Home Depot truck and drove it down like I don't know if it was Times Square or just some some street drove it on the sidewalk and killed some people and so my my story got bumped and that ran on the front page instead and I was telling one of my friends that I was like yeah I was supposed to have this run on the front page but then that guy did that thing and so you know it got bumped and they were like well that's a bummer are you upset about it and I was like not really you know, because people died, <laughs> you know. Um, and so I want to keep having that perspective on life and kind of having that way of the way I see the world and the way I do things because, okay, who the fuck cares? <laughs> like journalism and writing and putting stuff on the front page. But, but like people went to work that day and people got up and, you know, they took a shower and they did their makeup and they they ate their oatmeal, whatever, and they were supposed to meet with their friend for lunch and stuff. And then they got fucking mowed down by some dumbass. Fuck my story. So that's where I'm coming from, where, you know, these stories that I covered, some of them really bothered me. And I'm not fucking ashamed that they bothered me. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm a bad journalist because they bothered me. I'm a human being. But, you know, literally there are some journalists or some other reporters and editors who think that, like, oh, my God, you have emotion in these stories. Like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Like, you're a bad journalist for doing that. And it's just like, dude, 
don't don't tell me how to don't tell me how to live my life but seriously don't <laughs> um another thing that i also want to say is that i actually follow and watch um a channel on youtube that is a former reporter so she worked in broadcast she wasn't a newspaper journalist but she covered a lot of the same stuff that i covered which was what they call a lot of fluff um but to me it's community pieces it's arts and culture like it's it's just as important as politics like the people in this community make up uh, this community and it's fucking important so so she covered a lot of that and um it, it was just kind of crazy not to be judgmental because i literally just said you know don't fucking judge me on how i live my life but she was saying that like she was watching the Casey Anthony document, Casey Anthony documentary, and she was saying that like, well, I I believe her, you know, like it doesn't take much for me to um to be convinced of something, like that's just the way I am. Like if somebody says something, I I, I want to believe them, and I, I do believe them. And I was just thinking, girl, you're fucking journalist. <laughs> you can't do that. Like there are you do need to have like a a healthy level of skepticism in things um and you know you have to i cannot say this word but i'm going to try because there's really no you have to vet people uh you have to corroborate there we go oh that uh, that wasn't bad i had to really think about it though so you have to corroborate people's stories and you just can't take their word for it it's literally like illegal in journalism so anyway um getting into the main story that bothered me the most that pops into my head every once in a while still is the story about the wildfires in california this happened in 2018 it was when california had three pretty big wildfires going at the same time this is um the one that kind of like leveled the entire city of paradise um i don't know if you guys heard about that it killed i think 38 people it was one of the more deadly ones in california i think in their history and then there was a woolsey fire that's the name um that was burning in malibu and then there was another fire that I believe that was burning more north, which I didn't keep up on because I lived in Southern California. But so those were burning. And before I get into um, the part of the story that bothered me, um, because I ended up covering the town uh, city council meeting or whatever in the city of Malibu because they were upset with the firefighters and the way that they handled the fire. Um, so we'll get into that later. But I do want to say that... Friday night, I was having dinner with um, another journalist. He was a staffer at a pretty big California newspaper. And we were trying to decide what we wanted to do that night. And (laughs) we were kind of, you know, spitballing all these other things, but we knew what we wanted to do. And one of us finally came out and said it, and we were like... Do you want to use our press passes to go look at the fire? And we were like, yeah. So we went, we drove to Malibu. Um, it's like 40 minutes, no big deal. Um, drove up there and got to the roadblocks, you know, like where the police were like, okay, you can't fucking go any farther. There's a fire. Um, and we showed our press passes and they were like, okay, go ahead, I guess. And um, drove into the fire which a few things so i 
had never been in a fire before. Um, and it was another level of frightening. And a few things, because first of all, it was dark. So we went at nighttime. Which made it scarier, because everything's scarier at night. Um, but, but then you also have, like, the glowing of the fire, the flipping. So you're going, you're driving, this was on PCH, California Highway 1. And the thing is, is that PCH, even though it says, you know, it's a highway or whatever, it's not like an interstate with multiple lanes. There's only one lane going in, in either direction, so it's a two-lane road. And it goes through, and it's really, well, how would you say, shrubberous in Malibu like bunch of trees bunch of bushes bunch of shit you know what I'm that's burning and so you're literally driving on a road that's not on fire because concrete doesn't catch on fire but everything else around you is on fire and the thing that scared me the most were the telephone poles because they were burning from the fucking outside or no the inside out (laughs) So, you know how, like, when you have an actual campfire and the logs are on fire, obviously, but the logs are on fire and they're creating flames. And that's, like, the first part of the log being on fire. And then the fire kind of, like, dies down and burns hotter because it starts to burn the inside of the log and create, like, coals and stuff, right? So that's what the fuck was happening to these telephone poles. And all I could imagine were them collapsing on top of our car. And that's not far from the truth because they reported that happening. So... That scared me probably the most. Um, everything else was fucking burning. And another thing that I thought of was because they, again, had reported this happening, was that the immense amount of smoke, particularly, and the immense amount of heat um, could make it so your engine did not get enough clean oxygen to burn gasoline to make your car go and your car could stall. And then where, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? You know? So... I, at first, was like, okay, yeah, this is cool. I'm excited. Quickly went to terror and absolute fright. So after, you know, we'd really only gone not very far. We'd been in there for maybe three or four minutes when I was like, okay, time to go. I'm scared. And then we faced an issue. So the issue was that the police had put those big ass concrete Jersey dividers that you see dividing the interstate, you know, seven lanes on each road with big ass concrete dividers, which makes sense. But they put those in between the lane. So like I was saying, it's only one lane in, in either direction. You're going and then directly to the left of you is a concrete divider. And then another one and then another one. And there's no way to turn. There's no way to turn or turn around or do anything. And that was another thing is that, you know, it, these roads were not meant to have a big ass concrete divider uh in the middle of the road so we were driving half in the road half on the shoulder the shoulder is on fucking fire so (laughs) i'm i'm ready to go you know and i and we we were kind of just like okay well we have to wait until like there's an opening in these fucking in this divider 
But then I was like, we're driving further into the fire, more fire, more fire, more fire. And I don't want to be driving into the fire anymore. So I said, turn the fuck around and drive in the wrong lane on this side because I have no idea when these concrete dividers are going to open up so we can turn around. Like we're just like going it more into the fire. And what if they don't? What if they don't open up? So we turn around, driving in the opposite lane, and then all these cops and firefighters are like stopping us, saying like, "What are you doing? Going the wrong way, like in the wrong lane." And we're like, "Yeah, no shit. You put these fucking dividers in. We can't go the other way. We can't get in the other lane." And so they were like, "Fine, go." <laughs> and so we're leaving, and we make it out, and everything's fine, but. And then we hang out, like, with the rest of, like, the press and, and everybody who was in a safe spot um, and take pictures and watch helico- the helicopter, like, pour the fire deterrent stuff on the fire and, you know, hang out. And then he drives me home and I did not sleep that night because I was shaking and I was like, I smelled like smoke. I didn't take a shower. I don't know why. Uh, probably because it was late, but... It smelled like smoke um, that night and that morning and that day and everything. So, um, yeah, that was scary. That was really scary. But I'm glad I did it. Um, It was a cool experience. And it really gives you insight, I think, right, to, like, people who get caught in wildfires. And they were, like, you know, obviously, like, some videos of... and, And the videos, I mean... Uh, holy shit like it was just, it was just really scary I have no idea how else to put it like and and there really isn't another way to put it other than like to, you just have to experience it not saying that I want anyone to fucking experience that because that's don't don't get caught in a wildfire but anyway so then a few weeks later I was assigned to cover the city hall meeting that Malibu had because they were unhappy with um the firefighters response and the chief of police was there the chief fire person was there and it was pretty much just like a Q&A or whatever of like ask us what what you want to ask us and you could tell as soon as you walked into the room that these people were riled like you could hear them before it even started talking amongst themselves and each other and like whatever bitching and moaning and this and that and whatever whatever so they were mad at these firefighters because they didn't save their house they didn't save like the trees that they had planted years ago and like all this stupid shit y'all have fucking insurance for that like it would be different if so three people i believe died in the woolsey fire which is it's not okay that's a lot like three people obviously is three too many um bitch about that like don't bitch about the fact that they didn't save your fucking couch or whatever like who gives a fuck like i said you have insurance for that and so to complain that these firefighters who are doing way more of a dangerous job than you do because i'm assuming everybody who lives in malibu is just like an ex- and a producer or like whatever you know what i mean like shit that doesn't matter and so you're gonna stand here and you are going to 
yell. And that's what they were doing. Yell at the firefighters for not saving your couch. You're delusional. You're unreal right now. Because there were three fires burning in the state of California. And they didn't have as many firefighters as they needed to be able to fucking work on all three of the fires. They literally had to fly in other firefighters from other states to help. Um, And then you also have to consider that you need to leave a reasonable amount of firefighters in the city of Los Angeles and the surrounding cities because electrical fires happen, grease fires happen, other city type fires happen where they need firefighters for that. You can't just send everybody else. And they literally said that. They're like, we had firefighters in the city. I saw them. You could send them out. No, dude. Like they have to stay there for other people. Stop being selfish. Like, that's that's exactly what the fuck they were doing. So they were bitching and moaning, saying, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you didn't save my house. So a few things. The first thing is, I don't know if you've ever driven around, like, the canyons and the mountains in that part of California, but it is tight. So I had a fucking Honda Civic, and driving around those sometimes I was like, Am I going to fit? <laughs> like the roads are so small and narrow and like there are switchbacks and everything like that. There's no way you can get a fire truck up some of those driveways. And that's exactly what the firefighters told them. They were like, it's a big ass truck. It's way bigger than like any F-350 or like any other like normal like civilian vehicle like this is a big fucking truck I don't know if you've noticed but it can't fit up your driveway and it can't make these switchbacks we couldn't get to your house dude and that's like not the firefighter's fault you bought that house there and you should have thought about that because another thing is that a lot of these people had shrubs and trees going all the way up to their house They didn't have like a defensible space in between, you know, a a 10 foot gap of like um, uh, gravel or asphalt or, or anything like that. They just had fucking trees and shrubs going from, you know, the forest or whatever that they lived in all the way up to their fucking house no shit, it's gonna fucking like catch on fire. So you have that which is on you. You're the homeowner and wildfires happen in California more than they happen anywhere else. So you should have thought about that for one, not to not to be victim blamey or here or anything, but like, is the victim really the person whose house burned down because you live in Southern California? And again, that's like what the fuck insurance is for. And maybe I'm just bitter because I don't have a house and like, and I'm like, oh, boo hoo, like, like you have tons of money anyway. Like, and maybe that's where I'm coming from in a sense, but also the fact that like I was in that fire and, and so were they probably some of them. I mean, like some of them got out before the fire even started, but some of them left while the fire was actually going. And so there's that, but I had gone into the fire and to think about the the firefighters jobs and what they're doing day in and day out mind you i had uh interviewed some of these firefighters they hadn't slept for three fucking days 
because they were working on containing this fire. They were working on containing the fire so they didn't lose like Pepperdine University in, in Malibu and like, you know, all of these other errors and places and, and oh, they didn't save your couch, Steve. Oh, oh fucking well. <laughs> I mean, such a bitch. But they really, really were so delusional in that city council meeting. They pissed me off really fucking badly and I almost started crying in in the city meeting, okay? Because they were just being so cruel and so vile to people who risk their lives for you. And you're going to come to them and say, you didn't do enough? You're joking. You're joking with that. That's not even like a thing that you could even possibly think would be an appropriate re- re- response to that. They didn't say thank you. They didn't say thank you at all. It's just, it, it was just mind numbing. It was just, it was just it fucked me up. So I included, I, I ripped this city of Malibu. I ripped them a new fucking asshole. I printed so many quotes of them being dumbasses and assholes to these firefighters, again, who had stayed up for three days, who were flown in from different states to help you. And you're going to stand there and say you didn't do enough. So I included some really scary facts. And one of the facts that I included that stays with me to this day is that some wildfires move at 70 miles an hour. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine trying to save a $10 million house when the fire is moving at 70 miles an hour? Bro, fuck it. Fuck it. (laughs) So I filed my story at City Hall um, I went to, into like this hallway or whatever. I wrote the story and sent it into my, my editor filed and then got in my car to go home and stopped at the local Taco Bell in Malibu, called my mom crying. I was so upset. I, I could get, I could start crying right now. Like I, the way these people reacted to to these firefighters was just so I, I don't know it was just really upsetting and it's something that I think about you know pretty often that that happened and and I could say that because I've covered school shootings before okay so like a dude it's always a man a dude who kills these innocent victims I've seen that before but for whatever reason, the vileness of these people of Malibu stuck with me more in terms of something that has disappointed me in humanity. That, you know, you can literally risk your life to save people and they'll look at you and be like, why didn't you do this instead? It's just, it's outrageous. So that's definitely like my number one story um it's probably a pretty easy story to find if y'all want to read it um it's probably pretty googleable i don't really know like the seos to find it or whatever off the top of my head but um it's out there so if you wanted to you could um another story that i covered was in denver when i was still an intern and there was a shooting would we thought there was a shooting at the Capitol? Um, so Denver is the capital of Colorado, and so there's a Capitol building, and the Denver Post is right across the street from the Capitol, and so 
we got word that there are gunshots at the Capitol and we were like, oh, fuck. And so I'm putting on my jacket. Like I'm putting on my jacket. I'm talking to my editor like I got to go. Like I'm going to go cover this. Right. And so they were like, no, 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 no. Like, wait, Um, we want you to be safe. Like, don't just go running toward these gunshots. And I was like, this like, no, that's silly. I'm going to do that. Like, (laughs) and so I literally like, you know, said, call me when you know something. I turned the police scanner on on my phone and I ran down there and there were a couple gunshots that were actually still going on once I made it on like down the elevator and, and out the building on onto the sidewalk. Um, heard a couple gunshots and ran toward them. Never had I thought I was going to be running toward gunshots toward gunshots I don't know but I did it and and it was just like when you are on assignment like all of my fear I like don't have any fear whatsoever like I am so fucking committed to like covering the story the best of my ability and to like really show no fear to doing my job and getting the information and everything for the community like it was just something that was just innate for me I guess like it was just something that was built inside of me and like I said I never really thought that that was going to be something that I would do I never really thought that that was something that was inside of me but when I was put in that situation it just came out and it came out like over and over and over again um you know with the fire that you know I had driven into with my friend it was different because I wasn't actually on assignment like I wasn't there for an assignment I think that if my editor had actually given me an assignment it would have been really different and I I would have kept going but even we showed our press passes but we were there just as normal people like we weren't covering anything we didn't have any stories or or anything we were just being nosy honestly so that was that's different like for whatever reason like before I have like um my credentials on so like the press pass that you have that like you wear um when you are like really just in a spot where like you have to have your credentials shown like when there's a police presence or anything like that um it's different from like when I have that lanyard on that's my credentials on it to when I have it off I'm like a different fucking person I don't understand it but when I have this it's like body armor like I'm fucking ready to go running toward gunshots like I'll do anything and that was actually something that I thought of where um (laughs) so I don't know who's seen the purge um but it was like the third or fourth movie which was like um the first purge which was like so it, it was almost wait what did they do did they do star wars that way where it was like the three movies and then they went back in time and told like the beginning like before the story but it was the fourth movie but it was before the other three you know what i mean i don't know why the fuck they do that but i'm pretty sure that's what the purge did if i'm recalling correctly where they made staten island like the um experiment for the purge or whatever where they were like hey, we're gonna try the purge um and this, so they pulled up the bridges you know and they there were reporters on scene that was part of the movie and i fucking thought to myself that would be me one thousand percent you know i'd be there if the purge were happen i would be the first fucking reporter on scene and i don't <laughs> that's just kind of like 
the way I am with that type of shit. Um, I try to really implement it in my day-to-day life, but for whatever reason, it's a little bit more difficult. I don't know why me as an individual person is like a a little less scared or a little more scared. I mean, but another thing is that, um, I'll like drive or walk into anywhere. I don't know if some of you have heard that, like if you have a clipboard and like a vest on, you can get into anywhere. And I like pretty much do that, except I don't have a clipboard and I don't have a vest. I just fucking go because one of the things that they tell you and one of the things that um, they really drill into your brain is that just do whatever you need to do until somebody physically gets in your face and tells you, no, stop turn around leave like just wait until they tell you no like don't ask just fucking go do your thing get your quotes get your story and hopefully nobody stops you before that like that's the whole vibe um where it's better god I can never remember this quote it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission like that's the entire um I mean, that's the entirety of journalism. Um, Another thing that's the entirety of journalism that people don't understand is that it's better to be accurate than it is to be first. And it's always like back and forth um, pulling of that. But like, I've definitely had stories where people were fucking up my deadline. You are telling me that you have other more important things to do than to answer my questions when like, you okay, so (laughs) I sound like kind of, um, pretentious right now um so there are some stories that i cover in the newspaper that are more like free advertising or pr than they are for news purposes but the reason why we cover them and the reason that we still run the story is because it's you know uh pertinent for the public or the community to know so you know when the pandemic had first started the botanical gardens were still open and that was because everybody could be outside and be away from each other and yada 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 so that was a pretty important story to run because we wanted the community to know you know if you're having a hard time staying cooped up and everything like that you can still come to the botanical gardens look at pretty flowers um walk around see some goats or whatever the fuck and I was covering the story and I was trying to get their publicist to like give me quotes, give me information and, and like how long, uh, like what safety measures they're taking because at that time, like nobody really knew what to do and we were all just kind of like throwing shit at the wall and seeing what stuck. So I was trying to get like hard information about like what they were doing for safety, um, how people need to go about getting their tickets, if they should do it, you know, if they could, if they could do it online or, you know, all these other things. And my deadline was the same day deadline. So my deadline was probably like three or four. I'm talking to this person at like 1 p.m. I go there because like that's the only time that they have available for me, of course. And so like I walk around the botanical garden, see what they have so I can put in my story. I try to talk to this person and she's like, I'm busy. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm here right now. And um, I need to talk to you. (laughs) So then it's it's like, okay, we'll go home and I'll give you a call. And I'm like, okay, you're going to give me a call like soon because like I have to file the story. And, um, 
I always gave them, you know, more. Um, I, I don't tell them my actual deadline, right? Because then they'll go right up to the fucking deadline. So if I tell them that my deadline's 5 p.m., or, or say my deadline is 5 p.m., I tell them that it's 3 or something like that. So they can actually fucking talk to me and then I have time to write the story. Because I literally don't know what's wrong with people, but they would do that shit all the fucking time. Where it's just like, you write up until my deadline. How rude. <laughs> like, we all have bosses. I'm just trying to do my job. And, like, this is to benefit you. Like, this is going to, you know, bring in more people. And, like, can you help me out? Can you throw me a bone here? And so we actually get it. I was, like, really short with her. Um, once I was, like, really approaching my deadline. Once, like, 2.33 came around, I was like, okay, no, lady. Like, you need to really get back to me. Like, I, th- this is, I'm not taking no for an answer anymore. Like, you need to answer these questions right now because I'm on deadline. And um, she did. <laughs> um, but then... I actually ended up covering another story at the Botanical Gardens a few months later and ran into the same lady and she was like scared of me or something like that. Like you could tell that she was just like intimidated or or something like that. And then like one of her colleagues came over and she puts her her hand on the lady who I kind of yelled at and um, puts their hand on, on my bag as well and goes you guys can be friends, it's okay, or, like, some shit like that or whatever. Like, I think I really hurt this lady's feelings by, like, you know, being very blunt, very honest, and and very straightforward to say that, like, I need this information right now. Not later, not fucking in 10 minutes or an hour, right now. Um, Which is my job. Like, I don't know what the fuck she expected else for me to do. I'm not going to file late. I'm not going to tell that my, my editor that I missed a deadline because Judy couldn't get her shit together and tell me, the, answer these, like, three questions and give me these three quotes. It takes two minutes. Anyway, so people would do that shit all the time. Um, there was another thing that happened at this one convention with... Um, shit I can't remember her name but she was in she was in Charmed um I'll have to look it up and I'll splice the name in right now Rose McGowan so I was supposed to have an interview with her at like 11 a.m at this one convention that I was covering so we were scheduled to have an interview And then she cancels like 10 to 15 minutes before the fucking scheduled interview. And I'm like, fuck. Right. So we couldn't get anyone else to interview for this convention. Um, And she was actually giving a talk at like 4 or 5 p.m. And so what I had to do was flip in wait for her talk um, to get these quotes, to get this information and to put it in the story. And so pretty much like I just walked around this convention and sat in my car and talked on the phone for a little bit and just like tried to kill, you know, these next five hours because this person canceled um canceled the interview but like I still needed all the information I I couldn't just like switch the story there wasn't really anything to switch it to because everybody else was booked so 
that was really annoying. And what was interesting is that when I went to her talk, I sat in the very front row. I had my little reporter's notebook out front and center, very obviously taking notes and attentively listening to what she had to say. And we made eye contact a couple times, prolonged eye contact to where I think she knew I was the person, I was the reporter she canceled on. I hope she thought about that because she really extended my day. Like that really messed me up. So for whatever reason, sometimes people really like don't think. <laughs> I don't I don't know how else to put it, but like I I don't know like what these people are thinking about when they say, oh, you can wait. Like, I thought that it was really well known that newspapers have really tight deadlines. So it was actually voted, I know, a few years ago, a couple of years in a row. So I want to say like 2020 or um, no, 2018 and 2019, I believe time voted newspaper journalists is the worst job ever. And that was due to its high stress, its low pay, and, like, its low, like, um, reward or something like that. Like, it's a thankless job. Like, no one's actually, like, no one actually praises journalists for, like, doing what they need to do. So, yeah, I I thought that was, like, well known that, like, we're always on really tight deadlines. And... The fact that I'm able to write stories as fast as I am able to, like, kind of blows my mind sometimes, but I know it's just, like, out of survival mode. Like, now, when I write for myself or, yeah, no, just when I write for myself, because if I'm writing for somebody else, I tell them to give me a deadline, and then I'm held accountable, and then I actually do it and meet the deadline. Um, I can't fucking write for myself anymore because I don't have a tight deadline. I don't have somebody breathing down my neck. I don't have other people who I'm like going to disappoint and everything like that. And I have like my entire, um, you know, my, my entire, what am I, my entire worth on the line. Like if I miss this deadline, I might as well just fucking kill myself. Like literally that's how serious it was for me, for all the other journalists, for my editor, like missing deadline is like, yeah, go jump off a bridge. Cause you fucking suck. You call yourself a journalist. Yeah, no, it sucks. And so, yeah, I, I, and I've met some people who have, you know, come out and said that, um, they, they knew that journalists were always under like tight deadlines. But anyway, so moving on to another thing that has obviously always bothered me, and that's going to be school shootings. I've covered a lot, a lot, a lot of school shootings. And it, I covered so many that I started to consider it a part of my beat. So a beat is just something that you cover. So like politics is a, is a beat. Science is a beat. Um, music is a beat. I... Um, considered my beat to, even though I was just general assignment so technically my beat was general assignment um I considered myself to be arts and culture or community-based news so that's you know art walks festivals beer festivals city council meetings um and candlelight vigils for school shootings and it was oh my god to fucking see parents 
have parents who've lost their children is like I can't it's, I can't even I can't even put it into words it, it, it's just like and it's just something you never get used to and you have to it's it depends so sometimes you can look at somebody and you can say there's no way like this person wants to talk to a reporter right now but then you know you think to yourself but you know we want to give this person a voice like they they might actually want to say you know what it's like to have their daughter taken away from them and um we need to give them a platform and so you then have to go and approach this grieving these grieving parents um and say you know i'm shannon i'm a reporter with the newspaper whatever and I was just wondering if you would want to talk to me. And it's just like such a delicate process and something that really fucking like puts a pit in your stomach. It's just like really, you know, you never get used to it. And again, it's one of those things that my former editors would tell me you got to have a thick skin, you know, talking to these grieving parents. I'm not going to fucking get used to that. There's no way I'm ever going to get used to somebody who lost their child in such a senseless, like, preventable manner. It's just, like, next level. So, that is, those are the stories that stick out to me the most. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything else luckily I didn't have to cover I mean like obviously covering school shootings and like the fire and everything was just like bad shit but there are reporters who cover bad shit day in and day out I would like to say probably a politics reporter does that shit all the fucking time covers that shit and it's just like really miserable really miserable existence that's literally why I did not want to be a politics reporter and everybody was really pushing me into that and I was like y'all I don't have the mental health for this like I'm unstable as it is I can't be like subject to this day in and day out I can't do it I won't do it I don't want to do it and so then I covered all the fluff pieces you know like all the charity walks and um protests I covered a lot of protests too I forgot to mention that but yeah so a lot of the things that I covered were were generally good, you know, uh, like the art walks and everything like that, you know, covering like really great artists. And, you know, those are always like one of the best art <laughs> interviewing artists is so much fun. It's it's the best interview. Like they always have like the best responses to your questions. Nothing's canned or like, you know, like um pre-thought out or, or anything like that it's all just like off the cuff like right then and there and it's, it's just so great and it's also so great to like really give a platform to people who are doing good in the community and who are doing what they love and you know not um caving to societal pressures you know because being an artist is not easy and it's not generally seen as something that is a real job so that was always my favorite part of the job those interviews those were always the best